Hello and welcome back to CoinScrum Markets. I'm thrilled to be joined after a little bit of a break by Anton Golub, CEO at Flovtech. How are you doing? Pleasure to, uh, that you have me again and really exciting times for us. I'm looking forward to another awesome discussion with you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the last time you were on, it, it was coincidental that uh, we were always making all-time highs um, you know, over a six-month period and it seemed that you were kind of joining us on, on the day of every new all-time high. We're in a Slightly different environment now, Anton. Um, having, let's say the market's having a breather would be the kindest way of putting it. Um, what's your thoughts on uh, the last week or two? Things have kind of you know, been a bit range trading all round, I guess. But um, on the day of recording today, um, you know, bottom end of the ranges. Uh, what's your thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, I was very excited and also privileged and happy that I was always joining you on the all-time high. A bit different environment. I think kind of the move that actually happened just recently, they took quite a lot of people and pulled the rug under them, if I can say it like that. What we saw again was quite a lot of liquidations coming from all over the place. And also a few weeks ago, actually quite a few exchanges were down, if I can state it in that direction. What was surprising kind of that the DeFi protocols held up really well during that correction. And kind of I see that, you know, that maybe there's a lot of opportunity, you know, to go down even further. But I want to say again, like from what we see behind the scenes of what's happening, I couldn't be more bullish overall on the whole industry on, and the price rise as well. And I think from the perspective of the news just we, just we hear, heard recently from kind of people who have more interest to allocate further into crypto, this is actually a great opportunity to buy for somebody who thinks long term, not maybe within this very short time horizon. So I couldn't be more bullish on the price and on the industry. Okay. Well, we'll come on to some of that kind of the new allocations uh, in a little bit. But um, on the DeFi market, what have we seen there um, in terms of, you know, volumes compared to maybe a few months ago um, and total value locked, etc.? Yeah. So what we saw actually prior to this correction is actually that a lot of the AUM was leaking from the centralized exchanges and centralized wires towards DeFi. And kind of if you spoke to exchanges, they would tell you that they see that firsthand and kind of that AUM was building up in protocols and in a lot of them that actually kind of offered either synthetic or wrapped coins, basically enabling you to take on leverage. And kind of we saw a lot of actually AUM or total uh, uh, value locked within these protocols rising quite severely and then a very sharp correction. And what we saw actually in these discussions that we had a few people actually that the leverage that was building up in DeFi was very high and it still is very, very high actually. Now, the fact that these protocols worked fairly well was quite successful, but I think that, you know, the fact that the AUM dropped or the TVL dropped quite a bit following that uh, May correction, actually, I think you, quite a few people got uh, pulled out or liquidated quite easily. And I think if there weren't safety mechanism further among this few of these protocols, so for instance, like liquidity, where you actually have certain mechanisms to actually prevent large scale liquidations, if they actually got liquid, I think the correction would be even steeper. And that's kind of unfortunately in the DeFi, uh, DeFi world, actually, then it's kind of like a positive feedback loop. Then, then basically that pushes pressures in Ethereum, and then pushes pressure a lot of on those wrapped synthetic tokens. And then it's just, a, uh, I mean, vicious circle. So we kind of uh, stopped at these levels. Uh, overall, still, uh, Ethereum is outperforming Bitcoin on a relative basis. So that's highly positive. And I think kind of maybe people are still seeing this as a good buying opportunity, mm -hmm. what might come very soon from Ethereum, I mean, rolling out Ethereum 2.0. Yeah, and we've seen the gas fees drop right back down. I mean, you know, that was an open question with uh, how expensive uh, fees were getting on the network, but I guess people were paying them if it was justified by some of the opportunities they saw in DeFi. Um, as long as I guess they had to be uh, trading reasonably large uh, volumes to justify that. 
output. So we've seen network activity drop back and feeds drop back accordingly. And we've also seen that on the Bitcoin network. I mean, network activity dropped quite significantly on the Bitcoin network back to 2018 levels, um, around 60% drop from recent times. Um, and a lot of people look at that network activity as an indicator on, on, on the price as well. So um, do you have any specific thoughts on that? Yeah, so just to mention with regards to first referring to DeFi and to Ethereum, I think actually before when the fees were so high, it was economically unreasonable even to do a lot of these transactions and to actually doing them in any reasonable way, you kind of had, it was behaving kind of like a little bit like an OTC market. That unless you exit really high transactions due to the gas fees, just it made no sense. And we were proactive actually telling the people around us and our clients to really not even focus on AMMs on decentralized exchanges because there was just not, it was not economically reasonable. Now, kind of actually, I think when, it, when we're talking about Bitcoin and the network activity, I think, you know, dropping it to the levels of 2018 is still actually quite high. If we remember, those were actually the, the all-time highs prior to this actually run-up, yeah? Mm -hmm. I think in terms of relative perspective, we're still at the very, very healthy levels. Now, mm -hmm. I think a lot of this impact may have been around whole talks. How does Bitcoin mining is impacting our environment and how green or not green it is actually from that perspective. And there's a lot of now these discussions that are being revolved around that where maybe we can question that is there a lot of merit to that? Because from my experience, or at least what I see is that a lot of this mining activity, especially on Bitcoin is already done in a really cutting edge uh, environment and kind of this coal uh, factories that power the uh, Bitcoin miners. This is maybe some in very separate, uh, specific and isolated places in the world that it works like that. So maybe kind of these are the things that tie up together with together with uh, uh, a bit of a price drop that kind of things maybe are not evolving in the anticipation that we had, but still, I mean, we're at all time high levels compared to the previous run up. So I couldn't be more positive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that has been an ongoing and open discussion for many years um, and it will roll on, I guess, as new people come on, come into kind of the environment, it's, you know, it's gonna naturally raise the same questions, but then, you know, I guess what we have seen, if we look across the kind of leaderboard of tokens, that um, proof of stake networks seem to have outperformed or be outperforming Bitcoin. Do you think that's sentiment feeding into the markets and people sort of hedging their bets and thinking that, you know, maybe proof of stake will be the future? Yeah. So I, I think that, so again, the, this may be my personal opinion. I think kind of the proof of stake networks might have more opportunities going forward into the fact that actually, you know, it's becoming economically unreasonable and to the impact of proof of work and how it functions, I think there's like a strong motivation why people want to go in that direction. So I see it from a personal, maybe sentiment perspective. I think that's the driver and kind of the topical question around the impact of mind might put people in a further direction. But still, I mean, the, the most dominant cryptocurrencies, the household name is Bitcoin actually. And I think that's what we'll keep on uh, uh, staying both from a retail perspective, from an institutional allocation perspective, Bitcoin is king, still king. Yeah, but I guess that is another proof of stake versus proof of work. Again, has been an open debate for many years now. Um, and there are definitely pros and cons on both sides. Um, so those arguments, I'm sure, will uh, rage on for some time. So we'll, we'll come back and look at that again in the future. Um, so just quickly on, uh, you mentioned, you know, uh, more capital allocation coming into the market, potentially micro-strategy that has been... I guess, you know, one of the biggest allocators and most vocal allocators over the last year, um, you know, they'd issued about 1.6 billion of convertible debt over the last year to buy Bitcoin. Um, I think their average price from their uh, May SEC filings was around $25,000. So we're still holding above that. 
Um, but they announced this week issuing another originally 400 million, actually up that to 500 million of convertible debt. Um, good sign or just, you know, averaging in? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's between both. I think averaging in and buying at the right prices. I think MicroStrategy is becoming like a quasi ETF actually, because I think the holdings that they have actually enable quite a big allocation towards it if people kind of want to have a quasi Bitcoin exposure, since we don't, are not getting an ETF actually very time, uh, anytime soon in US at least, yeah. So I think this also is highly positive. I think the timing wise, this couldn't be better for them because they can buy now at cheap prices. And I think also from a price perspective, they can support the price as they buy up and build that allocation, which is quite sizable. What I understood, the 400, 500 million has been allocated in, in the debt offering. So I think this is going to be a great opportunity for them to buy cheaply, but also for the market to get more confidence that actually big allocations are still coming in. And we'll see that dynamics of cryptos being withdrawn from exchanges, big amounts being withdrawn from exchanges and putting into cold storage quite soon, actually. So we should keep an eye on that, yeah. Yeah, you know, I did see something, I think it was like three times oversubscribed as well. So I guess that is one of the, you know, that's definitely a, a positive benchmark in its own right. So um, we'll let Michael Saylor carry on buying Bitcoin. Um, what else has been in the news this week? Uh, big one's been El Salvador um, decided to, they passed, uh, Congress passed uh, into law uh, that Bitcoin could be uh, used as legal tender. What do we think of this? So I think the highlight of the Bitcoin conference in Miami was in fact actually that it was, back then it was proposed that the bill will come, that will approve Bitcoin as a legal tender. But today we can say actually it was approved. So this is the, the big news by supermajority. So I think this is, a, again, a small step in the right direction of an adoption going forward. Now, kind of as a, maybe uh, an introduction, why that happened is actually a company called Striped launched their application actually in El Salvador, where we really have a lot of unbanked people. A lot of people are still using cash to the tune of the 70% of all transactions or people use still cash. So this was a great kind of a door opener to showing that you can use Bitcoin maybe as a payment or a remittance tool. That was quite successful. I think this is like a first small step towards global <laughs> adoption. But I'd also just to now be a bit more realistic. I think that the immediate impact of that will be very small because the network effects that impact or the result out of that decision actually quite small because El Salvador is not a global powerhouse that exports and imports from everywhere. But I think kind of after we heard that news, quite a few other countries, specifically from Latin America, announced that they might be considering the same. So I think we're kind of all moving in that direction where Bitcoin is becoming more uh, useful, even in a wider context. But I think now talking about Bitcoin as a payment method, I think that's not reasonable. I think it will more be like a store of value. So maybe going forward, we'll more sit on the balance sheets of the central banks one day, long time in the future, or on the balance sheets of the countries. And I think maybe that's the way how to use it going forward on a bigger scale. Yeah, it's interesting how they presented it. And they did kind of, you know, um, mention that, there's a need to build out uh, new financial infrastructure there. I think something like 25% of their population live and work in the US, so the remittance argument is possibly valid. I think there's been concerns over the years that, you know, maybe a bit disingenuous for maybe people in the West pushing Bitcoin as an option on some of these kind of underdeveloped nations um, because of the volatility. But then <clears throat> often the argument is that, well, the volatility of their local currencies um, although El Salvador dominantly uses the US dollar, um, you know, opens up the question and that's for, for the local market to decide. Um, and in terms of 
building a new financial infrastructure. You know, I guess we saw that in telecoms in Africa um, and the whole banking system in Africa, um, you know, over the last 20 years, they, they skipped a generation of, of banking and financial infrastructure. They didn't have physical banks and all of that, and they skipped and they jumped to um, mobile payment networks. So, you know, there is an argument that maybe this is the first foray towards that. The other side of the coin, um, no pun intended, is always if we see more of this, what the ramifications will be from countries like the US that maybe see that as a shot across their bow, especially for nations that are primarily using the US dollar as their reserve currency. So, yeah, interesting one to see. Um, we'll see, you know, it seems the Biden administration is taking a bit of a firmer stance on all of this. So uh, let's see how that pans out over the next few weeks. But an interesting development all the same. Um, and let's wrap up with, um, I guess, another ongoing discussion. Um, Bank of England um, this week uh, published a discussion paper about stable coins. Uh, again, raised concerns about crypto in general. Um, and also kind of went a step further. And, you know, I know this again has been raised, I remember many years ago going to a, uh, uh, a small workshop with the Bank of England. And one of the first things they raised around central bank digital currencies was what impact that would have on commercial banks. Because if people had the option to bypass commercial banks, go straight to the central bank, you know, what's that going to do to commercial banks' balance sheets? And they've modeled this now. So I think they, they've been, you know, they modeled a scenario um, where a fifth of retail uh, customers might you know, move over to a stable coin and what that would mean to commercial banks. What do we think about this? Yeah, so uh, to, to kind of try to explain is on one side of the coin, now pun intended actually, I think it's great that you know, we're having these discussions in terms of what could be the impact of crypto, digital assets, stable coins on the banking infrastructure. So I kind of, I'm very positive, also read the same paper and I was kind of very excited that they're proactively taking things in that direction and see this as a innovation and technology that can be used within the banking system. Now on the other side of that coin, I think for me kind of when I read things between the line is that the central banks don't want retail to touch stable coins, to touch money. They want an intermediary in between and they want a bank in between, commercial bank in between that would hold that, yeah? So I think when I, I, I had, I was, uh, as you mentioned, you have this experience talking with the regulators and the monitor institution. I was at a conference uh, of BIS and Smith National Bank quite a few years ago, and there it was clearly stated that they see stable coins being used in the wholesale money markets. So that means in the, those big transactions that happened between the big financial pairs, that's where they see use of the blockchain technology of the stable coins, but they're really not keen on having me having my digital pounds or digital Swiss francs in my wallet and not having a bank in between. So I think that's where a lot of concerns come from. I think they will stay. And, uh, but now it's for us to prove actually that maybe their alternative financial system can exist where people can directly hold their money and not have an intermediary or, or a middleman in between. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's changed definitely in recent years that anyone, um, especially exchanges, et cetera, brokers, working within crypto are trying their very, very best to be compliant. And, um, you know, they, they do um, oftentimes set a high benchmark for onboarding, et cetera. Um, we recently saw, because there's been, you know, talk about having to comply with the travel rule, and we've seen exchanges collaborate to, you know, be able to address that issue. And companies such as Nota being building technology, which will allow exchanges to be compliant with the travel rule. So, you know, are we confident that the industry is ahead of the curve and will stay ahead of the curve and be able to prove to regulators that, hey, we can 
comply, but actually do things better as well, and then make it kind of a hard, uh, you know, a harder um, uh, issue or a harder uh, kind of argument for those regulators to pose to the industry. Absolutely. So I think the bigger we are, the more uh, advanced we are, the more value we add to the whole community, the harder it's going to be ignore to digital asset world, the one that's very flourishing. I mean, I think, you know, we spoke about it also a few months ago, the, uh, the issuance of the stable coin is growing every day like crazy. So I think there's a really a lot of appetite for that. And it's showing the way how to move things forward. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of winners, whether it's USDP or USDC or some other stable coins, there will be going to be a lot of winners in this space. I'm absolutely sure of that. Yeah, but I guess, you know, let's see how it pans out. Um, we, we discussed this recently. Um, but there seems to be a, a, a gentle tightening of the regulatory noose. Um, and you know, given how um, critical stable coins have become within the whole broader ecosystem on centralized exchange trading, on DeFi. Um, it's definitely one that we need to keep an eye on uh, because if there's any sort of drastic and fast moves, it could, I guess, have an impact on the overall market. As always, time will tell. We sit and we wait and these things will pan out. Anton, as always, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show, to hear your thoughts, and we will uh, have you back on in a month or so. Thanks for joining. Thanks a lot, Paul. It was a pleasure, and hopefully either we uh, meet again at the next all-time high, but if not, then happy buying to everyone and stay liquid, yeah? Thanks very much. Awesome. Cool.